Welcome to the Hidden White Podcast, episode 1029, my interview with Chris Lynham, and we're discussing the choreography of customer service. Enjoy. G'day, Chris. Welcome to the Hidden White Podcast. Great to have you here this morning or this evening, wherever you are. <laughs> Thanks so much. I'm, I'm so happy to be here, Lee. Whereabouts are you? I am in Northern California in the San Francisco Bay Area. Okay. So what's yeah. the early evening, early afternoon? It is, uh, yeah, early afternoon, and um, and I live in a city called Livermore, uh, which is uh, uh, funnily known as the other wine country. We're not too far from Napa, but there's a bumper sticker that you'll see around town in my city that says uh, Napa makes auto parts and Livermore makes wine. So there's kind of like this fun little wine rivalry in my city. <laughs> nice. Well, mate, um, great to have you here today. We've got uh, yeah, an interesting conversation today, really, and I've never had a um, well, an owner of a co-owner of uh, an Arthur May dance studio on the show, or a uh, owner of a dance studio full stop on the show. So interesting that we start there. But you've written a book called "The Choreography of Customer Service: uh, High Touch Service in a Touch-Free World," and I think a lot of the people listening out there are some way in their businesses or their jobs involved in, in the service field. Um, so it's a pretty important part and certainly something that I'm very passionate about is making sure that the service that I give to my clients is, is top level. Um, so really looking forward to getting into this, this conversation. But let's just jump back a bit. Um, how did you go from, because you're a, a dance teacher and now yeah. you own seven or several of the, the top Arthur Murray dance studios in the world. Yeah. So, um, I was, uh, I, I didn't grow up as a dancer. Um, in fact, my father took dance lessons. I kind of found out about it. I was house sitting for him and I found this, I found this really odd collection of music. And I was like, I never knew my dad was into like this Latin music and it was really, really bizarre. And, um, and then it turns out that he started taking dance lessons to, um, just to get in better shape. His doctor told him he was a diabetic and he needed to make some drastic changes. And so, he started taking lessons every single day, and I made fun of him relentlessly as a as a young <laughs> punk, maybe nineteen or twenty year old, and um, I just didn't understand it. And then he said, "You really have to give it a try." And I was like, "Dad, I am not a hundred years old. You'll never catch me ballroom dancing." And literally within maybe a year and a half, I was an Arthur Murray dance instructor. And so, wow. uh, yeah, it was just kind of bizarre, but. Um, I stumbled into it through swing dancing through a friend and um, and fell in love with the idea that you could go to a club and ask someone to dance. And and then when the dance was done, you could say thank you and walk them back. It was like I went back in time and and I had been to nightclubs every single weekend and you were just lucky if somebody would dance with you. And um, and this time it was just it was so polite and it was like a throwback and and it, it was like all of the right social ingredients that really made you feel confident. And I really love dancing, but I just didn't have any um, formal training until I went through this uh, training program at Arthur Murray Dance Studio in 1999. And I intended it to be my summer job. Mm. And, uh, and then that was, you know, over two decades ago. Wow. Wow. Something about dancing then, hey? So, um, yeah, it's interesting. You say you go to a dance club and, and, you know, like the old days, I guess, you ask someone to dance and have the dance and thank you and move on. Yeah, yeah. It was it was 
incredible how polite it was. And, and there was all this, you know, the, like the social kind of graces of, of another era, um, at these, at these swing, swing nights. And, and you'd see people escorting, you know, the guys would escort girls onto the dance floor, you know, on their arm and, and, um, and everyone's, you know, back, people were wearing like vintage clothing and stuff too. So it really looked like a scene out of a movie or something. And, um, it was so special to be a part of, and in comparison, like the stark contrast to nightclubs where you sort of, it's sort of like the predator and the prey where guys were kind of gradually moved towards someone they had targeted. And if the girl accepted your, your advances, you know, then it meant a lot more than just a dance, but it was, it was just great to kind of be out of that element and into something like that was just felt like it was about the dancing and just about meeting people and not about anything else. Yeah, it's cool. So a lot of benefits from dance. You talked about fitness there. What other, you know, benefits or pros do you see about the uh, the dance industry? And then someone listening out there that goes, yeah, I've always thought about doing some dancing, but I've never done it yet. Yeah. Well, I think dancing in general, what's what's really odd is if you think back to like your grandparents' age, that that everybody did dinner and dancing was like a normal date night, right? Mm-hmm. And, and then somewhere, and I don't know if it was disco or if it was the sixties or what happened, but at somewhere along the way, it became dinner and a movie. And so dinner and a movie kind of killed off the date night of dinner and dancing. And so when we have couples that come in to take dance lessons together, we're, we explain to them, you know, you might be the only couple out of your, your circle of friends that's actually doing something like this together where you're working on your communication and you're getting a chance to do something exciting and you're working in tandem with each other. And, um, and we like to tell couples like that's probably putting you in the top 1% of couples, you know, um, and how many couples go to dinner and a movie versus how many couples are still doing dinner and dancing. And so, so it's really awesome to see that. Um, another really big benefit that, um, I have a real attachment to is, um, is the, the mental health benefits of, of ballroom dancing specifically. There was a study that showed that ballroom dancing, um, outperformed, um, everything from crossword puzzles to reading a book to light exercise, you know, Sudoku, like all these things for brain health and to help offset any of the, the degenerative qualities of, um, or degenerative, you know, things of symptoms of things like, you know, Alzheimer's and dementia. And, um, my aunt about four years ago passed away from an aggressive strain of Alzheimer's. And, um, we just happened to have a student in our school that about two weeks after that happened, my wife was visiting in one of our locations and this wonderful student of ours named Nancy said, would you guys ever be interested in doing a partnership with the Alzheimer's association? And it was just this perfect serendipitous moment. Mm. And so, um, so we helped facilitate a, a, a global partnership between the Alzheimer's association and Arthur Murray international. And, and so, um, so yeah, brain health is, is one of those things that you, you don't feel like it's going to, affect you like that never really I knew about that benefit as a teacher but it didn't really hit home until I lost somebody close to me Mm. and and um and so that really became like a rallying cry for our company and we've had um countless you know other franchisees and and students and and managers and teachers that have all just kind of gotten on on board and um and we've been able to turn this into kind of a yearly tradition where we um, we try to raise awareness and raise money for, um, for the Alzheimer's association. Yeah. Nice, man. 
What 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 in particular is it about ballroom dancing that is more beneficial for brain health? Yeah, it's interesting. Like if you think of exercise, like if you were trying to depressurize from work or something, you could jump on a treadmill and you could get the physical workout that can get endorphins going and and you might temporarily like suspend all the things that you have to think about, the meetings that you need to have and stuff like that. But eventually your brain kind of catches up with that because you're not occupying enough of your brain simultaneously. You know, you might be just kind of triggering one one portion of it. With ballroom, you're using something that's physical, but there's also spatial awareness that you're using. In addition, you're doing something that's really creative and musical at the same time. And so what happens is that it's, it's, it's kind of firing all these areas of the brain where if you were just reading or if you were just doing a crossword puzzle, you might be, you might be highlighting one area, but, but ballroom um, in particular, yeah, yeah, you've got to kind of map out the whole room. Yeah. Nice. As a, as a couple, I mean, relationship wise, very beneficial and powerful for for couples to create that, that connection with, with something like dancing. How do uh, couples get into something like this? Is it, is it one partner suggesting let's do it? How do they select the dance that they're going to do? Yeah, good question. The um, we've had for a while. Arthur Murray went through this phase where they they said that the the majority of their clients they refer to as golf widows, and it and it's sort of a sad moniker. But um, but it would be husbands that refuse to dance, but the wives that really love dancing, and so they just turned it into their own hobby. And the husbands would go and golf, and and that was just it. And um, with shows like Dancing with the Stars or Strictly Come Dancing, you know, those shows started to kind of put into the, you know, into the limelight a lot of these great athletes and celebrities that were that were males that were actually getting a great workout and having a great time. And so I think those things kind of helped become a catalyst towards more men being excited and not just, not just dragged in, you know, but, but excited to, to get started. And so, um, yeah, so most couples, sometimes you'll have a guy that's, you know, coming in, you can tell that he's been, he's received, you know, his marching orders to come in and take a dance lesson. Um, but a lot of times now we're getting guys that are surprising their wives or their girlfriends with dance lessons. And, um, yeah. And then what we do is we teach, we teach in a way where, you know, with Arthur Murray, the the man himself, Arthur Murray, really wasn't a super talented dancer, but he just wanted to make dancing accessible to guys like him. So we always think of him as kind of like the Steve Jobs of dancing, right. and uh, he just made it simple and 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 accessible. And so, yeah, people will come in; they'll they'll learn from our curriculum, and then they're able to learn, you know, four to six dances in the same time it might take someone to learn one. Um, and, and a lot faster than if somebody was trying to just, you know, hoof it out, watching a YouTube video or something, copy moves from a movie or something like that. But I think that whole social connection, you know, getting back to some of our roots and and getting tribal again with people and, and, and watching other people do it, you know, the whole idea for me, I'm not a dancer, right? My wife is probably not a dancer, but for me and her to go into a dance studio, that'd be very intimidating for both of us, I'm sure. But very empowering too. Oh, for sure. Yeah. And it's, it's, there's so many kind of, I mean, we talk, we talk just as much with our staff about 
like the importance of understanding someone's comfort zone and what's their style under stress and all these things that, that come up. And we make analogies to everything from karaoke to bungee jumping to kind of talk about what it's like for someone walking across the floor for the first time. Mm. Um, for me personally, I set up an interview at Arthur Murray when I was, you know, way back in the day. And, and when I set it up, they, they were excited to meet me. We set it up for the evening time. I drove across town I parked my car in front of the studio and then I couldn't get out of the car. And so I stayed, my car stayed running. I turned the lights off on, on my headlights and, but I looked in the window and I saw people dancing on this dance floor and I realized I'd have to walk past all of them to go in to, to show up for my interview. And so I drove home <laughs> and I was, and I knew I was doing like my brain I, I think that your brain is the, the best marketing machine ever in existence, right? And so my brain was sending me all these kind of pop-up ads of why it was okay to drive home. Oh, they probably weren't expecting you tonight. They didn't really mean they wanted to meet you in person or, you know, all these things. But, but part of me at this kind of gut was just so, I was so disappointed with myself. And I went home and I yelled at myself in the mirror and uh, I screamed like, you're better than this, you know, and uh, and then I ended up going back the following day and I just pretended like my interview was happening that afternoon. <laughs> and I walked in and a manager happened to be there and uh, and then then he hired me. And uh, yes, but yes. that's thinking about that. I feel like every one of our new students is going through some version of that. Yeah. That, you know, they could have easily driven away, but they didn't. And they kind of crossed the threshold. And now it's our job to kind of meet them where they are and to make them feel like this is going to be fun, quick and easy, you know, and, um, and then we can kind of make the magic happen from there. That's probably a good lead into the service piece uh, of your business at least and why you wrote this business. I assume you offer first class or world class service um, to your clients, which is probably why you've written this book and you're probably recognized for that too, not only through the success of your businesses, but also through um, the testimonies from, from the people that work with you. Oh yeah. You know, it's um, I, <laughs> I said this on, a, on another interview and, and, and it, I, not really controversial, but what I was saying is I, I believe that Arthur Murray under, you know, because it's sort of shielded by this, this hobby that not many people do. And so because of the, how niche it is, not many people can really discover what's behind the surface of like this company and how much training goes in to the staff, not just in their dance skill and their teaching skill, but in their communication and service skills. And, um, and so I told the interviewer that I believe that Arthur Murray dance teachers secretly are the best customer service reps in the world. And I said that even they're going to beat Disneyland because the product of Disneyland is something that everybody wants to consume. They're all excited to be there. Nobody feels threatened walking through the front gates of Disneyland. They feel, ex <clears throat> they feel tremendously excited. <clears throat> Excuse me. They're, they're excited to be there. They, they smell the hot dogs. They, they, they smell the popcorn. They see the rides. They, they see the characters and they're just, they're already kind of set. You know, the culture is sort of taken over at that point. And then the service kind of keeps people coming back. And in our industry, it's they're stepping into an area that feels like the deep end of a pool and they're deathly afraid of swimming. And so it's the service it has to be the beginning of the culture. And then it's the thing that's the, you know, that's the, the tail end that is going to repeat 
the business coming back. Um, and, and we know that about ourselves. I mean, we don't walk around and say we're the greatest ever or anything like that, but we know, we know what we're up against. We don't, we don't have a, we don't have, you know, a, you know, a roller coaster or the smell of uh, corn dogs or anything like that to, to, to make people immediately feel enamored to be there. So why is service so important for business out there? Cause I mean, not just dance studios, but all businesses, I'm in real estate myself. Yeah. You know, I think part of what we, what we didn't really notice until the pandemic, in my opinion, mm-hmm. is it took, it took everybody having momentum completely washed out to really realize what you have, what's the, what's the, the foundation of the culture in terms of service that you have um, when you take all of the momentum away, when you take all of the new leads away, when you take all of the existing kind of sales funnels and things like that, you, when you take all of that away and it's all put on pause, you can really evaluate. I, I heard an analogy and they said, you know, sometimes you need to, you need to dock a ship to get all the barnacles off and then it's going to, it's going to sail so much smoother but you couldn't do that while you're, while you're out at sea, you know? And, and so for us, um, I think that service is something we had to, we had to really evaluate our, what are we training on? What was our culture like and how much, how much was momentum of our business and the structure of everything? How much, how much was momentum kind of disguising things that we really needed to improve? So I think that unfortunately service, you know, people skills, you know, and, and dancing are kind of similar in the fact that people sort of believe that it's this innate kind of nature type thing instead of a nurture type of a skill, that it's something that can be taught and it's a process and it's a recipe that you can follow. Um, and, and I've been one of those people that's hired people because they were nice thinking that that equated to great service and, and, and even a nice person, that's, that's a gateway to great service, but that's not the end all. And, um, I think that's something that every single business, um, in America, they, there was a study that showed that like businesses were losing over 60 million, $60 billion in lost sales due to bad, um, customer experiences. And, um, and this was all before the pandemic. And so, um, I think if that number doesn't kind of scream, something is, something is wrong. Something needs to be improved. I don't know what does. Yeah. No, good, good things. What, what is, um, where do we start with good customer service? Like if you teaching someone now, what do we, what do we look at first? Yeah, I think that part of it is, um, I would say the, the first step is, is examining what autopilot looks like and really kind of fleshing that out. I think the clearer that we can make like an enemy kind of transparent and like, you know, visible to everybody, you know, then the, the, the more we can kind of strategize on how we're going to solve that problem. And so I think that where a lot of customer service situations sort of, you know, sort of fail that may, may work from time to time because the product is good enough or maybe because the, the client needs it, but then they're never going to come back is because the, the professional on the other end is sort of on autopilot. And so they're stuck in the present tense and they're not really considering like, you know, where this person came from, what's their backstory, um, what are the challenges that they're up against? And then, and then they're not also creating something going into the future. Like, you know, what's the return on investment? You know, how will you know that this was the right product and, and, and what are the, the telltale signs that we're on the right path? Um, if you think about like any coach that you've ever had in sports, 
they may have been, you know, the best people at challenging you, you know, as a, as an athlete, but they would never do that if they didn't care about you as a person and maybe your contribution to the team. And so, um, so I really believe that, you know, when our, when our team and, and I think in teams in general, when, when you kind of draw from the past and then you really, re, really reevaluate what you're doing in the present. And then you sort of create some fun challenges and, and set benchmarks for yourself and for your client going forward in the future. Um, that's how you can make a connection right away that, that most kind of people on autopilot could never do. And, um, and that's, that's an immediate differentiator. So what you're saying is really number one, listening to your customer for sure. And on an individual basis, not as a robotic sort of retail basics, all, all the customers <laughs> are the same. You know what I mean? Like I've come from a retail background and you can't individualize that service. I would think, but maybe you can by listening to yeah. your customer. Oh, for sure. Like even in retail, I think it's such a great starting point too, is that, you know, there's a big difference. Everybody knows kind of the standard script of a lot of retail associates, right? So they know that you're, they're going to say, Hey, can I, can I put, put you in a fitting room or, you know, you know, can I help you find something and all, all these things. And I think that it's amazing how we've sort of have these prepared responses. Like this could all just be done by an Android, you know, on both sides. Um, and just by changing up the questions that you, that you might start asking immediately kind of changes up the experience. Um, so, you know, for example, if, if, if someone said, you know, instead of just jumping to a compliment and saying, you know, Lee, that suit looks incredible on you. Um, can I get you two more in different colors or something? Instead of saying that, you know, I could ask a question like, so Lee, where do you imagine wearing the suit first? Um, you know, if we can get this fit completely right, you know, and then now I'm changing up that standard question. I'm not immediately showering you with praise and compliments, but I'm, I'm just interested. And I think that unfortunately. Utilizing that service, isn't it really? Like straight up with a question like that. Oh, yeah. And you could ask that right. question to any customer. Yeah. But again, it's yeah. utilizing it. Exactly. And I think that it's, it's sad to, to think of that, that someone just showing that they care is going to be such a huge differentiator. Mm. But, but unfortunately, that's the nature of what we're up against. You know? And if you think about some of, the, some of the giant companies in the retail space, that have, that have either, you know, reduced the number of stores or closed altogether. I think that a lot of it just has to do with they're stuck in this really tough cycle of how quickly can I get somebody operational? And do we have a, do we have a good employee manual that can at least give them survival skills? And then can I find someone that's nice and, and equipping somebody beyond that, you know, to just humanize the experience, then people aren't going to trade out that, that sort of autopilot semi-human experience for just shopping online instead, you know? And I think that's the, mm. that's the unfortunate byproduct. Yeah, certainly shopping online takes away that connection, doesn't it? Oh and yeah. That's something that, you know, I guess for those people that do like shopping is, is something that they still do it for is to get that personal touch and service. But if you're not getting that, then it's easy to understand why you go online. Yeah. Yeah. In fact, like people will shop in person. I've done this. I've shopped in person just to scout things out to be yeah. better at online shopping, you know, and, and it's just because unfortunately, you know, there's, there's people that, that 
kind of want to be too busy to help people. And, and there's these weird kind of social, you know, etiquette things that are, that are starting to become missing because, because they're kind of slapping together, you know, a team of, of service people. And, and it, for me, I really believe a lot of times, especially in retail, um, but it could be in any team when it comes to service is that everybody is really suffering from the bystander effect where everyone thinks that somebody else is going to, is going to kind of take the reins and then we all sort of watch a customer service crime being committed. And unfortunately, when that happens over and over again, you sort of lose any sort of interest. Like you just kind of see it like it's just another, you know, they'll be back or, yeah. and, and unfortunately now because of the pandemic and because of the rise of online shopping and stuff, like that's not a guarantee anymore. No. The, um, and some some businesses try to get that customer service right, um, and I know they do. I've been out before where I've experienced it myself, and then you still go online because it's it's maybe more affordable or something like that. Um, but if you can nail that customer service experience, it's more likely that they will then purchase from you, um, you know, and become a, a customer of yours. Um, but if you can't get that right, then what, what loyalty do they they have? What reason do they have to stay there? And oh, I guess it's, it's from the other side too. I imagine being in that industry or any customer service industry, you may <clears throat> give good customer service and if you get rejection from the client and you get rejection again and you feel like you're giving them everything and they just keep going online, then you're going to become disgruntled and then probably stop giving good service, you know? Yeah. Like anything, oh. like, you, you, you know, if you keep giving something really 100% powerful, passionate and you're not getting that respect in return, you'll end up sort of blocking it. Yeah. Yeah. You get to that point where I think like apathy is the, is sort of like the, the sort of the basic point that we've all reached, you know, when, when you see somebody in, in that environment and, and if you imagine like every, yeah, like the rejection thing is so, so perfect in terms of the, the comparison, because, you know, just like at a nightclub, if, if you have people walking past you and not engaging with you, or you're approaching them and then they turn you down. Yeah. You start to develop this, this, this frustration and you start to kind of come up with a strategy that's built from a negative place. And then you start to perceive things about the next person who could be this, this dream client. And unfortunately you've already kind of set, you know, course on like a negative path. And I, th I think that's creating a turnaround there is, is tough, but I don't think it's impossible. No, I like that. Um, so listen to your customers. Good, good advice. Uh, <laughs> like but, and I love the idea of asking those right questions. And, and that's something to really think about no matter, like you've just made me think about, okay, what questions can I ask better to individualize, um, you know, my service offering um, to my clients. And that's, that's pretty powerful as well. Yeah. You talk about um, speaking with confidence and conviction. What, what do you mean there as far as customer service goes? Yeah. I mean, I, I love to compare everything back to talking to girls at nightclubs. <laughs> I think that I, I, I think that, that, so, yeah. yeah, me neither. Me neither. Um, I had a friend who was really good at it. And one thing that I, when I always share the story of, of him is that he, he didn't just have like, he had confidence, but he also had like a repertoire. And so when he would talk to girls, he had, he had a response that kept him kind of in the pocket of confidence um, much longer than just the average guy. And so he would ask a girl like, Hey, do you want to go and 
let's, let's dance. And, and a really typical response that a girl might say is I'm, you know, I, I have a boyfriend or something. And he had a response for that. So he would say, you know, well, is he treating you the way that you want to be treated? And, and I would stand there and my buddies and I would stand there and watch this guy. And we would be in absolute like terror of like, how can he do this? How could he say these things? And then these girls would say, well, no, he's not. And then suddenly he's dancing with another girl that we never could have talked to. And I think going back to now in a service environment, having like a playbook that you operate from doesn't mean that you're, you're a pre-programmed robot, but to be able to have a few kind of really built-in rehearsed responses, I think is, is really essential. Um, in the same way that like, if you're going to sing karaoke, you're always going to sound better if you're singing a song that you know, versus a song where you're reading the lyrics as you're singing it. And I think for a lot of our new um, service professionals, like in any industry, what they're trying to do is maybe follow the lines of, of something or just kind of make something up on the fly. And we've given them so much autonomy that they don't really have a direction in terms of how to, how to maintain the culture of that business um, in terms of communication. And so, um, so I love like, you know, um, we do some training with our team on, on these three words, uh, if then love. And, and so if I say, you know, um, you know, so how are we feeling about this house? It's, it's the three bedroom, four bath option with the backyard. Um, and then I could, and then at, at that point I might be saying all the right things. And then I could say, because if you sort of like it, I, I kind of like it. I mean, I think it might be good. And suddenly now I've just started to diminish and tried to qualify everything that I've just said beforehand. Mm. But if I said, you know, Lee, I believe that we found the house I mean, if I'm not mistaken, and if this works for you, then I would love to get the mortgage paperwork started. And now it's coming across clear. I'm, if gives people an option so they don't feel backed into a corner, then is communicating that I have a plan, like there's a, you know, a natural kind of process to it. And love is probably the most powerful word ever invented. You know? and, and I think about how many times I've heard um, even our staff, when they say things like, um, you're going to really, really like this is sort of, it, it diminishes a word like love. Um, if I, if, if they said, if you sort of kind of feel like it, then let me know, you know, and, and we have all of these exchanges that unfortunately become, you know, part of like the, the recency bias of, of, of mm. our clients. They walk away from that. They sit in their car and they're like, what was he asking me to do again? Oh, I forget. I'll just see them another time, you know? And, um, and when I use something like that, it's just, you know, it's not, it's not giving somebody an entire script to memorize. It's just yeah. three kind of key points, um, to kind of give embolden them and give them that confident, you know, communicating. Yeah. I love that. That's very powerful. Um, and if then love, I mean, I just like something that you can easily remember and, you know, you can put that rehearsed and after time it'll just be sunk in, it'll be second nature to you. But then speaking with that conviction and confidence and I guess being a bit more direct with what you're asking but showing oh, yeah. respect that you've listened to them and that, you know, you're confident that you've got the, the right answer for their, um, their, their, their problem as well. For sure. I mean, I, I think back to how many, how many times, if I could give myself a pep talk in high school or something, how many times I was trying to ask a girl to a, to a, you know, a school dance or something like that. And it was just this, 
it, it was like siege warfare. It was like I would circle the wagons around the castle and then try to starve them out, you know, and like, and it was just talking about in a roundabout way of what I wanted instead of just asking directly. And, and sometimes it took the girl saying, are you asking me to the dance? Cause I, I I'll go with you, you know? And, and then sometimes we'll have clients that'll kind of bail us out like this and, and your new professional might feel like they were 100% responsible for the success of that, of that interaction even though they had somebody that was just a great listener or maybe they were just got bailed out at the last second. Nice. I know you're, um, you obviously got some, some teams, big teams around you there. What advice would you give as far as in, in parting this, this love and the passion that you have for customer service onto team members? Because they have to have some sort of in the drive too. And obviously you do as a co-business owner. Mm-hmm. How do you pass that on and, and get them to be able to be the same, same as you and giving that, that customer service experience? Yeah, great question. I, I really believe that um, if there isn't, in, in, when it comes to being a trainer, you know, it's just like, you know, having kids and stuff that um, self-discovery is, is such a huge part of kind of learning how to be a parent or learning how to be a, a, a trainer or a business owner. Um, when you understand like the power of self-discovery, it's like the big unlock. And, um, for example, my, my daughter, (laughs) my daughter's worn the same. She has this favorite dress. She's worn it three times this week. It completely breaks all of the social norms I would expect from her. She's three, you know, my five-year-old is wearing my wife's makeup to to school. And we just kind of go with it because we realize that their self-discovery of putting their own clothes on and putting on makeup and things like that is a confidence building activity. It's powerful to them. Mm-hmm. And for me to come in and try to, to try to break that, I would be the villain in that, in, in that position. And so going back to training on service, what, what we try to do is we'll, we'll take a scenario and we might say, okay, we're going to do this the wrong way. And I want you to now, we're going to completely botch this, this, you know, we're going to ask the student if they want to participate at this big competition, and then we're going to do it the wrong way. And, and now when we do it the wrong way first, everyone's laughing, we're having a great time. And now they're starting to kind of understand the, the opposite of what the real, you know, the, the productive way might be. And so now what we're going to do is we're going to do it the, we're going to do it the right way. And now I want you to see like what's different. And we might even have our person playing the role of the client. Um, They have to now pinpoint what was the specific thing that was different from version one to version two. And so they're kind of acting like customer service detectives in that role. And we'll even tell them that put your detectives hats on and, and, um, and then we'll do a third version of it where we will talk about, this is going to be somebody who had the right intentions. They weren't trying to be really bad. They were actually trying to be good, but something was slightly off. And now that's kind of going instead of a really obvious customer service crime scene, it's now something that would require like a customer service, kind of like, um, I, th- I think I said customer cervix. Sorry about that. So you can edit that out. <laughs> but now you're having to use a, uh, uh, a customer service, like forensics team. Like you have to dig in a little bit deeper. And maybe they said, maybe we go back to the if then love. Maybe they just said, um, you know, everything was great, but then they left out that the ending of it and they didn't transition really well or something. And, and now if the person playing the client can pick that out, we have self-discovery and that's how they can now take ownership of mm. it. 
And, um, there, I love that study and I forget the name of it, but I think it was in, um, thinking fast and slow. And they, um, they talked about these people were, would do origami and, and they would sell origami at these little shops and, and the value that they placed on the origami that they did themselves was higher than the origami that they would buy from other people. And so I really believe that self-discovery takes an idea and, and then it turns it into something that's, that's more valuable because they're not renting it from you as the trainer, but they're owning it for them as the receiver of the information. Yeah. Yeah. So giving people the tools and the, the information, but then letting them assemble it in their own way is, is probably the powerful thing there. They yeah. talk about that and think fast and, and, well, whatever it was called, think fast and slow. Oh, yeah. And they call it the, uh, there's also the IKEA effect too. They talked about IKEA. that people... The IKEA effect, yeah. When you build your own furniture, you actually take more pride in it, and versus if you just bought bought it preassembled or something. Wasn't it the same with baking? Like, didn't they have an example about women baking? Like, and yeah, and baking from scratch, or or versus using a a kit, you know? Yeah, the Betty. They talked about. I think it was Betty Crocker, um, and that even though her cake mix only requires like two extra ingredients you would have the same sense of accomplishment and pride in what you made because you mixed it together versus if you bought a a cake that was really, yeah, exactly. It's simple. Like it, man. Look, a lot of, um, a lot of wisdom. Any, any final thoughts before we depart? And I guess how can people best learn more about you? Yeah. Um, well, I think overall, I, I really believe, you know, like I said earlier that, um, dancing is, is a skill that you can learn. Like nobody is born a dancer. Even if, even if people have, you know, like a Latin American origin, those people contact us all the time and say, I am from Mexico. My family's, you know, just moved here and everyone expects me to know how to salsa and I can't, you know, and, 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 and it's crazy to just think that, but your brain is a marketing machine and it's going to convince you of anything outside your comfort zone alarm bells are going to go on and, and more pop-up ads are going to come up and you're going to convince yourself that this was, this was a, a nature thing and I don't have the nature and, and really it's a nurture skill. And I believe the same thing about, about people skills. I believe the same thing about customer service is that, that every single organization, no one is going to be worse off if they worked on people skills in their, in their industry, regardless of what it is, we're all in the people industry. Mm. And I think that when we, when we assume it's going to be nature, it's the easy way out. It's kind of taking the shortcut and it's keeping us the same. And our businesses have to adapt moving forward. Even if the losses of, of clients due to bad customer service didn't register to big businesses, hopefully with the, with the kind of full stop of the pandemic helped us register and give us an opportunity to kind of rebuild the right way. Um, in the same way that, you know, it, sometimes it takes an earthquake here in San Francisco to, to retrofit buildings, you know, and, and that's what it, what it took and to, to shake things down to the, to the rubble kind of taught us how to build things better and more effective to be able to withstand things moving forward. And I don't think that, Hopefully we're not, we're not going to see another pandemic like this in our lifetime. But mm-hmm. I think what we, what we can do is build from the rubble of the pandemic and, and turn our businesses into something better than they were before. Um, so we're not slowly kind of leaking away all these opportunities. 100%. Yeah. And how can people best reach you, mate? 
Yeah. So, um, so my website is Chris Lynham, uh, my name dot co. And, um, and so the book is available on like all major platforms. So it's available on Amazon, on, uh, target, gosh, uh, Barnes and Noble, Goodreads, all that uh, the whole nine yards. So, um, yeah, a show note, uh, and a, a link in the show note guys, the choreography of customer service. So click the link and, and get the book. There we go. Mate, awesome, awesome, Chris. Thanks so much for joining us today. Pleasure, and uh, thanks for sharing. All the yeah, for sure. Lee, it was great to chat with you, man. I, I, uh, I'm, I'm excited and really honored to be on the show, and, and it was just, you know, I love the questions that you asked. It was made it super easy. It's been awesome, mate. No, thank you so much. This is, I think, episode 1029, guys. Check it out at hiddenwhy.com. Until next time, peace, passion, and purpose. See you soon. Thanks, guys, for listening to this episode. I hope you enjoyed what you heard. I hope you love what you're hearing. If you like this episode, guys, or any of the episodes that you're listening to here at The Hidden Why, please do me a favor by sharing it. You can share it with your families. You can share it with your loved ones. You can do that by using your favorite social media channels using the icons on the platform that you're listening to The Hidden Why podcast. Also, guys, if you're a fan of the show, please connect with me. Connect with me at thehiddenwide.com. I love to hear from you. I love to converse with the people that listen to this show to find out what they enjoy, what they don't enjoy, and perhaps if they have any questions or feedback for the show as well. You can stay up to date with all that I'm releasing here, guys. I do a solo show every Monday, a three-minute thought every Thursday. I do two interviews a week on a Wednesday and a Saturday, and a book review every Friday. You can stay up to date with all that by subscribing to my newsletter at thehiddenwire.com. Just enter your email address there, and also subscribing to the podcast on the platform that you choose to listen to your podcasts. You can also support the show, guys, by using the Amazon links at thehiddenwire.com. So if you like books, you can get all the books that I review there um, and anything else, really, that you like to purchase through Amazon. So use that link. It helps support the show. And we've also got a deal with Audible, guys. Audible is a fantastic way to listen to all your favorite books. We've got a deal with them so you can get two free books when you subscribe or, yeah, subscribe to a 30-day free trial. So check that out, again, at thehiddenwire.com. Guys, that's it from me. You know what to do. Go out there. Breathe more passion into every single moment. Do everything with greater purpose and in doing so you will discover your hidden why this is the hidden why my name is Lee Manutzi until next time peace passion and purpose see you soon